This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. That's the sound of the CARP flag being raised. It happened at city halls across the country last Monday. Susan Ang and Ross Mayot took part in the festivities here in Toronto, and we'll talk about what it all means. Plus, it's Thanksgiving, and that means filling up on turkey and pumpkin pie. But while that's happening, don't forget the key idea behind the holiday. They've done actual studies where they show that if you take a list every day of what you're grateful for, uh, months down the road, even if you do it for one week, months down the road, you still have a better um, attitude and better outlook and you're physically healthier, you, you, know, you have more energy, you sleep better. That's Dr. Oren Amate. Coming up, he'll tell us why acknowledging the things we are grateful for in life can be good for our mental and physical health. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This week, the United Nations released a landmark report about the world's aging population. The study, called Aging in the 21st Century, a Celebration and a Challenge, estimates that currently one in nine people around the world are over the age of 60, and within 10 years, there will be a billion people over 60. The report attributes a robust elderly population to advances in health care, nutrition, education, and economic success. But it warns that we must prepare for the impact of a rapidly aging population, especially in developing countries. The report also says more has to be done to tackle elder abuse and neglect. Charles Roach, a civil rights lawyer and activist, passed away this week at the age of 79. He was born in Trinidad and Tobago and immigrated to Canada as a young man. He studied law at the University of Toronto and opened his own practice in 1968. He became a leader in the black community. During the 1980s, he created the Black Action Defense Committee, which urged independent investigations after members of the community were shot by police. He also helped launch Toronto's famous Caravana Festival, the largest cultural festival of its kind in North America. He lived in Canada as a landed immigrant, never becoming a citizen because he opposed the monarchy and refused to swear an oath to the Queen. For years, he fought to change the citizenship requirements so that people could swear an oath to Canada rather than the monarch. He was unsuccessful and the government denied requests from friends and family to grant Roach a special citizenship status before he passed away. Many of us will be spending the day in the kitchen getting ready for a big Thanksgiving meal, and unfortunately we're likely to prepare too much food and throw away a lot of the leftovers. According to a recent report by the Value Chain Management Center, half of the estimated $27 billion worth of food wasted in Canada is actually leftovers thrown into household trash bins. 
Poor meal planning and a susceptibility to buying in bulk are among the reasons we end up dumping so much edible food in the garbage. The bottom line, we need to buy less and to be more creative in using up excess food. Do you work for someone who's younger than you? If so, you're not alone. According to a survey from the website torontojobs.ca, 34% of workers say their current boss is younger than they are and 15% say they work for someone who is at least a decade younger. The survey is meant to address the burgeoning multi-generational work environments with employees ranging from 16 to 60, with each group having different ideas, strengths, understandings and work ethics. The survey's authors say we need to embrace the different working styles and be open to the idea that different age groups might excel in different environments. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. On Monday, the CARP flag was hoisted at city halls across the country. It is my great pleasure to call all of you who want to hoist this chain to come up and join me. I'm here to proclaim that CARP is the new cool. We marked the second annual National Seniors Day this week. There was a flag raising, a raising of the CARP flag at City Hall. And um, you were saying, Susan, yourself, that when this day was proclaimed, you didn't have high hopes, but it's turning out better than you thought. Well, absolutely. That was the year before last, and I thought, geez, this is all we're going to get is a National Seniors Day. That seems like a very hollow promise. And in fact, I guess what it really means is that it allows people to think about it, stop and consider what can and should be done to make sure that the, that the contributions of our forefathers and mothers are recognized, celebrated, and indeed in our public policy actually uh, address some of the concerns that they have. Well, one of the things that I was gratified to see at the ceremony at Toronto City Hall was that there were quite a few city councillors there from all sides of the political spectrum. And I guess it means that it's kind of penetrating into the consciousness of our politicians at the most basic level of government. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Remember that the idea that older Canadians matter in the political scene is a relatively new phenomenon. And it means that politicians whose memories may be, you know, short term, have to be reminded that this is the group that votes all the time. They're not selfish. They're not demanding that government do for them all the time, but they do expect government to understand their point of view. Now, Ross, one of the things that CARP marked with National Seniors Day is a whole bunch of new chapters of CARP. Well, we had uh, 12 four years ago. Now we have 56 and growing, and that's the delight. And that's the other part about today, that not only did we have this wonderful symbolic flying of CARP's flag today in Toronto, but we had it in 21 cities across the country from St. John's, Newfoundland, Labrador to Victoria, British Columbia, and a number of cities in between with proclamations, uh, paying tribute to CARP's role in advancing the dialogue on an aging population. And the other important thing that came out today from some of the, those that spoke was the need to recognize the intergenerational dynamics. And I think what's important too is the people who came out to the flag raising today are people who are very civic-minded. 
They care about what their government is doing today, not necessarily for themselves, but for their children and for their grandchildren. People of all ages have to be concerned. They're going to be taking on the caregiving responsibilities. They will be looking for health care and support for their loved ones. So it's something that is much broader than simply older Canadians. How far have uh, we come with our issues in the last two years and, and what is still at the top of the agenda? Well, the first thing is notice. People know CARP is on the scene. The issues are getting you know, a front burner status in the public discourse. Secondly, the issues that are moving along are, are there, there are advances and setbacks, right? There are advances in terms of uh, the previous year where we got some improvements for all seniors who are living in poverty, some increases to the GIS, for example. But in the following year, there was a pushback on the age of eligibility. What are your main goals or targets for for the coming season? We are focusing this year much more at the provincial level. Um, Last year, we were focusing on the larger federal uh, perspective. This year, we're focusing on, for example, uh, the healthcare system. In the past, I've spoken to you about caregiver support and home care and all of this. In fact, we have to step back a moment and say, well, what we actually want is a continuum of care. Our most recent uh, government proposal is something entitled One Patient, which, as it says to you, get out of your independent silos and start making a system that is seamless, that is obvious for people, so that people who need help, if somebody in the family falls or has a stroke, you know where to go. You don't need somebody guiding you by the hand. The system needs to get itself reorganized. I think that's aiming pretty high. I think the healthcare system itself would like to get its act together. Well, you know what? It's uh, unnecessarily complicated. Exactly so. Ross, and in terms of the chapters, do you have a goal? Well, we ha- we have a goal to keep our chapters healthy, to keep these the momentum that we've built uh, right across the country, make sure we get the right people in leadership so that there really can be a sense of community grassroots involvement. It's not a single voice from Toronto. It's right across the country at a grassroots level. Okay. Susan Ng, Ross Mayot, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you. You can keep up with all of CARP's activities at carp.ca. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. It's a holiday meant for acknowledging gratitude, but unfortunately, most of us just associate Thanksgiving with food and football. In just a moment, I'll be joined by Dr. Oren Amate. He'll tell us why identifying the things we are grateful for is good for our health. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. It's Thanksgiving, a time for us to focus on all the things we're grateful for. But what about the rest of the year? An attitude of gratitude is highly prized in all of the major religions, and now there is science that shows that regularly counting our blessings can make us happier and healthier, leading to peace of mind and more satisfying relationships. I'm here with psychologist Dr. Oren Amate. Welcome. Thank you. 
gratitude has entered into psychology as, as something that we should all practice? Well, it's, uh, there's a field called positive psychology that officially came around 1998. Um, and they're looking at, instead of looking at all the pathologies and problems that we have, they're looking at what can people do that makes them healthier, happier, and have a, you know, greater life satisfaction. And gratitude seems to be the number one factor as, uh, these studies are showing. That's amazing. So how did they find this? Gratitude has been around in every religion, every culture, every society. So they started from that, and then they started doing research on, um, you know, what happens when people take stock, they step back, and they look at what they're grateful for. And they've shown a lot of positive effects. How do you practice this? Because there are some people that are very specific. Either you're supposed to write down 10 things you're grateful for and read them over before you go to bed every night. I mean, how do you do this? Well... The people who naturally come by it, the self-actualizers, um, it's, it's a natural phenomenon. They, they just get – they're grateful for the simple things in life, the things that people take for granted, a flower, something like that. Um, to them, it's always novel. It's always new. So they don't have to do anything. It's just a state of mind. For others, there are exercises that they can do, like you were saying, writing down a list. And they've done actual studies where they show that if you take a list every day, you write a, a journal of, of what you're grateful for. Uh, months down the road, even if you do it for one week, months down the road, you still have a better um, attitude and better outlook and you're physically healthier. You, you know, you have more energy, you sleep better. So that's kind of like the number one thing to do is just like a list of things. It sounds hokey. Some people might think it's a bit corny, but it does seem to have effects. The list seems to be like the biggest one. Um, for others, it's kind of taking stock. It's looking at what you have. You don't necessarily have to write it down, um, but you're trying to avoid kind of the opposite, which is um, envy and greed and, and kind of looking at what other people have that you don't have. So it's an active process of not looking at what I don't have, but looking inward um, and looking around me at what I do have. Um, that's what it is. Uh, for others, it's actually writing a letter. That's another thing they say. Uh, write a letter to somebody that you're grateful for. So instead of a list, write a letter. Thank you for whatever and sending it out. That's another exercise people can do. It's a matter of wanting what you have. Right. Yeah, because if you don't, then it's that whole, again, it's that envious, uh, you know, getting upset that I don't have this and that. You know, a lot of the research talks about being grateful to a person, that you're grateful that someone has done something for you. Um, but there's that other avenue, which is kind of like what you're saying about it's not necessarily that someone has done something for me, but I have things in my life that I'm happy for and grateful for, like my health. It's the biggest cliche, you know, at least you still have your health. But why not? Why not look at that? In the literature that I read, they say, do it even if you don't really feel that way. And after a while, you will feel that way and you will feel better. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's kind of like the saying that if you smile, you know, even if you're not happy smiling, the muscle change and everything can make you happy afterwards. To someone who's in a really bad state, it doesn't work. They, they find that, you know, trite and, and, and they almost find it, find it insulting. Yeah, but, but somebody who is, say, not uh, clinically having a clinical problem, but somebody right. who's, you know, just a little bit of a curmudgeon maybe or, you know, an unhappy camper, uh, it's, is it worth trying to force yourself to do this and, and see what happens? What can you lose? You know, with, with, I always throw this out to my patients. I say, how can it be worse than where you are now? 
I do think it's worthwhile. Um, because once again, if you don't do that, you go in these opposite directions, which are very negative, and they've been strongly correlated to bad mental health. This pessimism, greed, envy, um, you know, this ungratefulness, they're all very bad signs of, you know, of how you're going to be doing it within weeks, months, and they years. they make your body release bad chemicals. They, they really do. You, it physically wears you down to always be in a negative state of mind. Step back and just look at what you do have. This is what I'm telling people. Um, you know, whether it's a family member, whether you have a roof over your head, whether you have a job, it's just be grateful that, you know, we have all these things. And in this country, we, we have so much more than most other people have. Step back. It's good for your health. Oren Amate, thanks so much for joining us. I'm very grateful that you, you called me in. Oh, and I'm grateful <laughs> that you came in. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. It's the anniversary of the song that started Beatlemania. Coming up in just a moment, we'll hear the single the Beatles released 50 years ago this week. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time now for your International Arts Datebook tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, it's an exhibition that features 100 drawings and sketches by the late John Lennon. Imagine there's no heaven. The show takes place at 130 Prince Street in Soho until October 9th, what would have been John Lennon's 72nd birthday. To the Windy City, where Chicago Artists Month is underway, the celebration explores the impact of artists throughout 20 of the city's neighborhoods by highlighting their work, their studios, and a wide range of exhibitions, programs, and events. In London, the English National Opera celebrates the 25th anniversary of Nicholas Heitner's spectacular staging of Mozart's popular fairy tale. The Magic Flute is on stage at the London Coliseum. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. Thanks, Jane. It's one of the most important anniversaries in rock and roll history. Fifty years ago, on October 5, 1962, the Beatles released their first single, Love Me Do. According to Beatles lore, the song was originally written by Paul McCartney when he was just a 16-year-old student ditching class. It was recorded on September 4, 1962, in one of the first sessions with the Beatles' new drummer, Ringo Starr. The song was released as the A-side on a 7-inch record with another early hit, P.S. I Love You, as the B-side. Love Me Do gave the Beatles their first experience of the British charts climbing to the number 17 spot. The song wasn't released in North America until 1964. However, when it was, it became a smash hit, taking the number one spot on the Billboard charts and paving the way for all their hit singles that would follow. Here are the Beatles with Love Me Do.
was the Beatles with Love Me Do, their very first single released on October 5th, 1962, 50 years ago this week. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Come back next week and stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.